Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to another edition of Heavy Live with Scoopy. I am Brandon Scoopy Robinson, senior writer at Heavy.com. And it's always a party whenever you got New York City family in the building. No different here as I got my main man, Rod Strickland. What's going on, Rob? Man, I'm good. I'm doing Trying to make something out of nothing like always. That's what's up. That's what's up. What's been going on with you pandemic-wise? Um... You know, a lot of time home. <laughs> uh, I've been. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm now out in California uh, with the with with Team Ignite, uh, the, the G League uh, team with 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 the young players. So I've been out here for what almost two months now, or mm-hmm. going on two months. So I don't know. Just working. You know. Uh, Watching basketball, waiting for the NBA to come back, and you know I live in a basketball world, so that's just whatever I'm doing is probably something to do with basketball. Well, tell me something. Um, <clears throat> Stephon Marbury uh, has been on Heavy Live with Scoop B, New York City legend, Brooklyn, U Bronx. Um, he's coaching in China, and to me, y'all two were both the cool kids. Is there the transition? Like, what's the biggest transition from being a cool player that people know to actually being a coach? Do you feel like you? It's a process of you got to you naturally get respect, or is it kind of like it's, it's difficult because you were the cool kid that played a cool position? Well, I don't know what you mean by the cool kid. I might I might need that explanation to answer the question. <laughs> well, to me, when I look at stuff. Drafted in '96, uh, played with the cool kids, Kobe, uh, uh, Allen Iverson, and more hip hop, right. whatever. For right. you, New York City, you were one of the first to to really play at Oak Hill. Not the first, but you went out the box and went to Oak Hill. You played. You went to Chicago. You played, and you just had the respect of your parents, particularly coming from the city. Right. You coached these younger guys. Do you feel like you have an instant connection because you played and because people think you're cool and they look at your highlights? Or 
is there an adjustment going from player to coach? Well, uh, there's definitely an adjustment, and, and I think it's a personal adjustment. I mean, I can speak for me, just being an NBA player, uh, probably living the lifestyle, you know, uh, you know, walking into a college environment. Uh, I know I still was in NBA mode when I first got to Memphis. So I had to adjust, you know, the professionalism, you know, studying film, uh, uh, kind of seeing the game, the big picture. You know, even though as a point guard, you know, you have to know it all and see it all and have an understanding. As a coach, it's an even bigger picture. Uh, and it's funny because it, it, it kind of helped me understand some of my flaws, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. Uh, so, uh, but it, it was definitely an adjustment. I think the biggest thing coaching, I'll never forget John Calipari, he called us in the office, uh, a few of us, and he basically said, listen, because uh, I wasn't a, a, a coach on paper. So he basically said, I want y'all to watch, every time we play a game, I want y'all to watch five tapes of that team, and I want you to give me a scouting report. And from that day, it changed the way I, I saw the game. Uh, it gave me a, just a better perspective uh, overall. Uh, and I, I think that was the beginning of me kind of turning into a, a coach. Jay-Z is my favorite rapper. Mm -hmm. And when I look at him as the artist versus transitioning into the business, whether that was president of Def Jam, whether that was um, you know, branding and advising other artists, I feel like he had that extra lens. Um, you as a point guard, you naturally are the extension to the coach on the floor. You're, you're the quarterback. Mm -hmm. What did you see that you, when Cal sat you down, um, that maybe you didn't see as a point guard? Like, as a point guard, you're responsible, you're the leader. But, like, what, what, advantages did watching other teams give you and, and what exactly did you see that kind of blew you away? Well, no, it's just, I mean, I don't know if there's anything that blew me away. It's just expanding your knowledge of the game and thinking as a coach and, uh, you know, I mean, as a point guard, obviously when I get on the court, I've studied the defense. I know where the defense is at. I know what I need to do. I know where everyone is at. Uh, but now I'm, I'm, I'm doing that you know, as a coach, and I'm doing that uh, not even just on the court, but uh, just being the leader and setting an example. And uh, like, like for instance, little things like I remember we had uh, we had two point guards, uh, Andre Allen and Willie Kemp. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, Andre Allen, you know, he was the better point guard at that right. time. Willie was a freshman. And, you know, every meeting and we're talking and I felt like Cal was trying to push Wooly. And I was like, well, you know, I like Wooly, but Andre is the guy. And one day I just went in his office and asked him, you know, I asked him about it. And he basically said, we got to get Andre, I mean, we got to get Wooly ready because I don't know if, if we're going to be able to depend on Andre yeah. because there were some things, you know, going on. And then, you know, we played the championship game and Andre wasn't there. You know what I mean? So just subtle things like giving me that to put in my mind that, you know, you look at this game as a big, you know, big picture. There's talent, but it's also basketball character and 
you know, you, you, you're looking at things a month and two months and three months ahead. It's like uh, if you watch Cal's teams, mm -hmm. they always get better in that December, January period, like January. And that's because, you know, you have that break, that sure. Christmas break, and it's, then it's like World War Three. Like, you know, it's like you're getting in the bunker and, you, you, know, you, you, you know, you're getting ready. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, just things like that. It just taught me how to slowly, gradually develop players and the team. And, uh, I mean, just watching him, he was so honest, you know. Like, sometimes you, you're around this game and, and people are afraid to tell the truth. I've always felt like I've always appreciated that. Uh, and you don't see it much. But, like, right away, Cal, i never forget, we had Derrick Rose. You know, there's other guys who feel like, you know, they were better than him. Derrick was kind of struggling in the beginning, but, you know, we knew it was just a matter of time. And I remember Cal just setting it straight, like, oh, this is my guy, and he's my guy for this reason. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, that just, I, I always kept that in my head. Uh, and I always respected that and, and admired that. Uh, about Cal. Um, Derek Rose, to me, um, has completely turned his NBA career around, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm glad of that. I mean, this guy was a young MVP, played for the hometown team. That's a lot of pressure. You know it playing for the Knicks. You also know the Chicago landscape because you played at DePaul with Kevin Edwards and all those other guys. Yeah. For you, having been around Derek uh, in Memphis and then uh, seeing him in the NBA, was there anything about his return that surprised you? No, nothing. First of all, you may say that, others may say that, but first of all, Derrick Rose is probably one of the best people I've been around in my life. Like, mm -hmm. I remember I used to be like, you like Betamax, like they don't make him like you. Like one of the most humble guys, like, I mean, he's, he's incredible. And I've watched him grow and mature, like he even, Derrick Rose reminded me a lot of me. Mm. He wasn't really comfortable in the limelight. You know, he didn't really want to talk, and you know, he just wanted to play basketball. But I've watched him grow into, now when you hear him speak, like, you know, he's comfortable. But, uh, God, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Basically, what I was asking was, are you surprised by, like, oh, right, 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 right. So, I'm not surprised. First of all, when he came in the league, he came in like, you know, he, he, he did his thing. Uh, obviously, he, he, he was the MVP of the league. Uh, and then he got hurt. And once he got hurt, Derrick Rose is such a competitor, and he wants to be, you know, he wants to be the guy. Uh, but it's funny because he's that, but he's also unselfish. But once he, once, once he got injured, I think he pushed a lot. Like, I think he was trying to show people he was that MVP. And so when you watch, when I watched him play, and I always told people, he didn't lose his step. He still can jump. Uh, you know, he might have lost a little, you know, vertical. I don't know. But he didn't lose much. He just was forcing things. He was trying to do too much. He was running into the lane. He was running into people. He was trying to, you know, he was just overdoing it. And then it came a time where he settled down. And because if you go back to Derrick Rose in Memphis, he was a, more of a facilitator and a scorer. When he came into the league, he became a scorer that, couldn't, that could facilitate. 
But all he did was kind of go back to, you know, what he was. So now when you watch him play, you know, he's taking quality shots. He's giving guys the ball. Now the court opens up. You know, once you have that patience, you can see everything. I think there was a stretch where he couldn't see it all because he was pressing. But I, like, you know, Derrick Rose is Derrick Rose to this day. Like, you know, he's, he's, he's still one of the best. I feel like Derrick was ahead of his time, though, if you think about it, because you look at Damian Lillard, and sometimes when I look at him, I'm like, that's Derrick. But then I feel like you look at Marbury, and I feel like Marbury did some things that Lillard does now. Right. But I feel like in Marbury era and Rose's era, that quality of point guard were perceived as ball hogs. But that's the way the game is played now. Yeah. A fair assessment? Yes, yes, I think so. Uh, you know, it's 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 so funny because like when you just think about that, like I I watched uh Rondo in this era and I watched him be successful and productive, right? But you get these narratives that can mess the game up. Right, a hooper is a hooper, a player is a player. If you can impact the game, whether it's scoring, whether it's facilitating, it is what it is. But we have so many narratives now of what a player should be. But you're right, like Steph Marbury, Steph Marbury, Derrick Rose, Lillard, like like very similar. Lillard is probably the better shooter. Steph is probably the next better shooter. D Rose is the scorer, uh, but D Rose is like a triple double kind of guy. Like, that's, that's his case. I always felt like, you know, he was capable of a triple-double. I can't hear you. I had the new button on. <laughs> so what I was saying was, he's like Marbury, Derrick Rose, and Jason Kidd in one. Ironically, he went to the same high school Jason Kidd went to. Cool. Went to the Damian Lillard. Oh, Damian Lillard, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Damian Lillard is special. I, I don't want to go off track, but I just remember me and Mark Jackson sitting at the pre-drive camp with each other and mm-hmm. watching him shoot the ball. And all we just talked about was the effortless in his stroke, like, you know, in his form. Like, you, you can tell right then and there, like, he was different. I got another question, and I want to go into you somewhat, well, a lot, um, you um, talked about Rajon Rondo. He went to Oak Hill just like you. One of my um, favorites. What'd you say? One of my favorite players. You know, Isaiah, I had Isaiah Thomas on a couple weeks ago, and he said the same thing. And one of the things that I, I, I asked Isaiah, and I'm going to straight up ask you, um, we talked about coaching. For Rondo, um, why will he instantly become a great head coach in the NBA? I mean, just IQ and feel. Like, he's a, he's a master of the game. Like, he, he obviously studies the game. Uh, he knows everything about anyone else's defense. So he probably knows all the coaches already, right? Because mm-hmm. he studies so hard, you know, I can see him walking into a film room and knowing every coach's plays. Uh, and he's a point guard, so he had to be a leader. Uh, you know, he had to instruct people. Uh, you know, I, I think I think it's going to be so natural because he's doing it right now. Uh, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's the point guard of the, the world champions, but I, I can guarantee you he's one of the coaches. You know, sometimes, you know, people don't want to hear that, but, like, 
you know, we're coaches on the court. You know, if you're playing 10, 15, 17, 20 years, and you're a point guard and you're playing at a high level, like, you're a coach. Like, you have to you have to control the game. You have to control the huddle. You have to control the locker room. Uh, there's so many things. So I think it's, it's, it's a natural, it's, it's going to be a natural uh, progression with them. So I, I, last fall, I sat down with uh, Dwayne Wade, and he, one of the things that he said and Nancy Lieberman said to me as well was, um, you know, she just marveled at the fact that LeBron and, and, and Rondo were both teammates on the floor. It just the, the IQ conversation is often used. Um, I, as I watch him as a point guard and I look at LeBron as, as pretty much a 6'8 point guard, I didn't play, but I'm an observer. And I've been around the game for a long time, as you know. But there's something that I've always been confused about. And you as a point guard, I think you can answer this. So when I look at Rondo and I look at Kyrie and I look at Tim Hardaway, you look at Tim Hardaway in Miami when he played uh, alongside Anthony Mason, who is a, considered a point forward. Pat Riley utilized him in that role. Mm-hmm. You look at LeBron as a point forward, but then you look at Kyrie playing next to him, you know, primary ball handler who handles the ball. For you specifically, when you have a guy that you play alongside with that controls the tempo of the game as well as you as a point guard, is that really a big of adjustment for you? Not throwing anybody on the bus. I've just always been curious. Is that an adjustment for somebody who's used to having the ball in their hand? No, because I think if, if you have uh, great IQ players, high IQ players, they'll figure it out. You know what I mean? And they'll share the ball handling. You know, I think Kyrie, when we talk about Kyrie and LeBron, it's a little different. Kyrie has a trigger, <laughs> You know, so Kyrie can play both of those positions and, you know, they can kind of switch back and forth. But, I, you know, I always said, like, if I was a college coach or if I was a coach, if I was a college coach, I would I would, I would, try to have two point guards. Like, I mm-hmm. would never mind having two point guards on the floor because they just see the game. They can control the game. Uh, you know, guards, wings, guys who can make plays, they're the right. ones who win games. So there's never too much of IQ on the court. You know, it might be a problem if neither one of them could shoot. But, you know, as far as just IQs, you want the more IQs on the court, the better. You were drafted by the hometown Knicks. Um, In 1988, you were the 19th overall pick. I'm curious to know, we talked about Derrick Rose playing for the home team. Um, how much were you hiding from family ticket requests when you played for the Knicks? I wasn't. Like, I was, that was the best part of being in New York. Okay. Like, I have my family and friends to be able to come to the games and know they were at the games and know to know after the game I'm going to go catch up with them. You know, I can see them whenever I want to see them. Like, that was, that was the best part. You know, so I, I had no problems with that. I did have to get a lot of tickets, but... I had no problems with that. I loved that part. You know, I loved that. Was the ticket the way it is now where you get, like, two complimentary and then people trade off? Was that still the thing back then? How did it work when you played? Yeah, you would try to steal some tickets from others if they weren't using them. Uh, you go to the media or the ticket person and try to get some extras. But ultimately, you're going to pay. <laughs> you're going to pay for some tickets. And But I had, like I said, I, man, I have my – Parents there, my brothers there, my, my boys there, 
like couldn't beat that. And then I'll be in the garden and I'll see so many people that I know. You know what I mean? So it was like being at home. It was like being around the way. So I, I enjoyed that. Do you remember your first game as a Nick? The day leading up to it and everything that was going on with the first home game. Do you remember it? I do not remember that, right? I don't yeah. even know who we played. I do not remember that. Okay. I do remember this. This is my first recollection. I remember playing the Nets. And I'm trying to think of the guard's name, but it was this cockstrong guard. I think he played at Phoenix. He played with Phoenix at one time. I can't think of his name, but I never forget that because he was so strong. And I was trying to figure out how to maneuver against him. <laughs> you know, because I knew back then, you know, it was, it was a lot more physical. Mm -hmm. so they could put their arm on you. They could put their hand on you. When you're out on the perimeter, you know, they'll take that hand and try to guide you a certain way. So you had to be able to maneuver, you know, back up, make a move. So I just never forget uh, uh, that that game was challenging because I had to I had to learn that and understand that dynamic of I got this grown man guarding me with grown man strength. Now my you know skill and quickness is my advantage, and now I had to figure out how to maneuver against him as the game went on. But I do. This is what I remember with the Knicks. You know, I always tell people that, and I this was the best feeling ever. So Mark would start, and you know I, you have your rotation. So Mark would start, and I would always come in at the end at the end of the first. Then I want to say at the end of the second. So a lot of time the last shot for the uh, first quarter or half, I had the ball in my hand, mm -hmm. and Rick Pitino would clear it out. So now just imagine that I'm from New York, I'm from the playgrounds, and, you know, family, friends, other people I know. And you showing I'm, off. I'm showing off. <laughs> no, for real. Like, I got the ball in my hand for the last shot, and, and Latino is telling everybody to clear it out. And the crowd is starting to roar, you know, rev up. And now I got the ball. So now I'm, I'm on West 4th, or I'm in Mitchell. And i never forget that. That was like the best feeling because I'm a rookie. And now you put me in this spotlight. Like, you know, this is your, you know, and, and I, that was me. I was getting that. And I'll I, I never forget that. Like, that was one of the best feelings ever. I was, I didn't fall in love with the game until 91. However, because of, you know, my family knows your family and just how we, how just I know the game and being around it, I, I knew your impact and I knew it particularly um, in watching your Blazers days and your Bullets days and slash Wizards days. But I got to ask this question about the Knicks. When you look at Mark Jackson and yourself, um, you've talked about it on my podcast, Scoopy Radio. Who would you compare? Would you Do you think it would be a, a fair assessment to call the two-guard lineup between you and Mark had you guys started together? Do you think you guys would have done as much damage or been comparable to C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard? I think we'd have been like Earl Monroe and Clyde Frazier. <laughs> like, like I just think, like, you know, I think Mark was Clyde and I was the Pearl. Like, you know, in my mind, like, I just, I always, me and Mark, we, we talk about that from time to time. I just wish, and they couldn't see it back then. Now they would have done it. But again, so we just was talking about IQs. So you have Mark and myself on the court. Those are two high IQs. 
like it, if you can even go back to the games that when when they did play us, like you know we getting up and down the court, making plays for everybody. We got the crowd going, and the crowd wanted it. You know they wanted it more. But back then it was a point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center, and you know they weren't they weren't going to play two point guard. But I wish. I wish we could have stuck around uh, longer. I wish we could have played together longer. I think it would have been incredible. I think it would have been incredible. I was seven in 92, and I'm not sure. You played with the Blazers from 92 to 96. Were you on that championship team against the Bulls? You came the year after. I came after the two championship runs. So they lost to the Pistons and the Bulls. I don't know which order. Right, right, right. I came the year after, and so the interesting thing, I came the year after, they, 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 they signed me as a free agent, I want to say they signed Mario Eli as a free agent, so they had their own starting, starting team back, off the bench it was Cliff Robinson, God bless, Mario Eli, Mark Bryan, and myself, so we were like nine deep, and we started off like 8-0. And then Clyde Drexler got hurt. And then, you know, Clyde Drexler, that changed the dynamics of the team. But I was so looking forward to that year, you know, with that group. Because we used to come off the bench, me, Mario, Cliff, and Mark. And, like, you know, that was a tough bench to have to go after, mm-hmm. to go against, rather. And, uh, like, that's, that's one of those moments I'm like, I wish, you know, Clyde didn't get hurt. Uh, I, I think we could have made it back to the finals. When you look at Clyde Drexler, um, I feel like he was grossly underpaid. Um, yes. in, in an era that was Michael's era. Um, help me understand, when you look at Drexler, if Michael was the top two guard in the NBA, was Drexler second? I, I got to go back and think about it, but I'm, I'm sure, yeah, 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 yeah. What made him special? Say that again? What made him special? IQ. Uh, I mean, he was, obviously, you know, his athleticism. But Clyde, I don't think he gets uh, enough credit for his IQ. Like, if, when he had the ball on the court, you better have your eyes open. Like, he's going to make the right play. He's going to anticipate it. He's going to create for others. And then he has this will. Like, Clyde is a stubborn kind of guy, you know, which all most great players are. Mm-hmm. But, like, he'll, he'll will the team, you know. There's times where, you know, it's like, just give me the ball. Get out the way. But if you open, I'll give it to you. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to carry this team. But I, I think his IQ is underrated. Right. Who plays like Clyde Drexler today? I'm bad at that. I'm bad at the comparison okay. game. Like, I don't even, you know, usually that it either pops real quick or, but I, I don't know. Um, That's fair. That's fair. Cliff Robinson um, is a guy that we lost. Uh, funny funny story. So, you know, I, I got my start with the Nets at 12, and I remember being, remember the old media room at the, at the, at the Meadowlands yeah. where all you guys would go to still make plates and then go back in the visitor's locker room. So I remember before game, my man walked, came in, literally made like three plates. <laughs> that's not like me. 
<laughs> were you that were you that bad back then? Yeah, definitely. 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 What to me, I feel like Cliff was ahead of the game. When you look at guys that literally play all five positions, I mean this was this was pre-Kevin Garnett. This was he was after Bob McAdoo. This was like Lamar Odom was coming in the league a couple years later, but after after Derek Coleman. Yes. No, let's not forget about my man DC because he was he was one of the originators and he was a killer and and so skilled and and probably more skilled than than we were talking about. He handled the ball, make plays like a like a I mean a true guard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, when I look at Derek Coleman, I see Chris Webber and Anthony Davis. Yeah, but he Webb, you know, you know how I feel about C. Yeah, yeah, Derek Coleman probably was a more natural ball handler. Okay, that's fair. Than both. Now you know C. Webb is you know I'm the biggest C. Webb fan. Was your teammate? Everything, but Derek Coleman probably was a more natural ball handler. Yeah, and when I watched those Nets days with him and Kenny Anderson, they had something special. They were just young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were young. They were young, but they were uh, Kenny, Derek, and Petrovic. Like that was that was ridiculous. But I, I'm and I'm a fan of all three: Derek Coleman and Kenny Anderson. You know, now that we brought his name up, like two of my favorite players and people. But you know who I think gets overlooked. Two people, Stacey Augman and Glenn Robinson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like Glenn Robinson was a natural small forward, and so was Stacey Augman. Mm-hmm. Two different, two different players, though. Guys, Glenn Rice was. Oh, I'm sorry, you said Glenn Robinson. Glenn Robinson. Glenn, Glenn Robinson was, you know, he's more of a bona fide scorer. You know, he's a mm-hmm. bucket. You know, put him in the post, he's facing up, you know, one dribble pull-ups and all that. Like, he was just a natural scorer. Stacey Aldman was just like an impact player, everything. You know, I mean, play defense, finisher, not a great shooter, tough, tough, uh, you know, good leader and all of that. Uh, but they're definitely two different type players. Rod, you mentioned Mitchell, um, and for those who are tardy to the party, uh, Mitchell houses in the Bronx uh, is where you grew up, and you, New York City, learned who you were. You were you were thorough in every borough uh, of the city, but um, you're always tied to Dredrick Irving, uh, who is a star in his own right at Boston University. Uh, you're one of your closest friends. Uh, I'd be remiss. If I didn't talk about uh, Brother Gary, uh, who's one of the only black editors uh, of, of that I can think of that uh, was in the newspaper business. But then, you know, you you talk about uh, Mitchell and Kyrie Irving, West Orange, New Jersey native by way of the Bronx. Um, his, his father and, and you and him have this special bond. I got to ask this question. Why do people villainize Kyrie Irving so much? Mm. Well, first of all, Gary Howard, big ups. That's my guy. It's my big bro. Uh, you know, I speak to him all the time. Uh, one of the best minds. Uh, so I got a big up guy. Yes, sir. And, uh, yeah, but and Dedrick, you know, that's. I mean, that's. I mean, we've known each other since third grade. We've spent like almost every day of our lives uh, together. 
uh, growing up. Uh, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's my brother, that's family. Uh, and, you know, Kyrie, as far as Kyrie, man, I, I, I don't really get into that. I kind of try to stay away from that because it just doesn't, like, I know Kai, I know his family, I know where he's from, I know his cloth. Uh, and Kyrie's just different, right? He thinks different. And I think people, you know, sometimes people don't like that. You know, we live in a world now where everybody thinks, if you say this, I'm supposed to go along with you. And if I'm against that, then I'm wrong. And, mm -hmm. and you feel like you have to ostracize me or you have to put me down because I'm not speaking the same language you're speaking. Kyrie's different. You can just watch him play basketball and tell he's different. He thinks different. You know, you can't do the things he does on the court without being creative. So his mind is different. His, you know, his, his thoughts and what he thinks of certain things may be different. And, you know, so I, a lot of times I'm I always, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that I'm, I'm not too much into trying to dissect the person that everybody's talking about. I'm usually thinking about the person who's talking about the person. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm like, you know, a lot of times it's like I, I try to think of their reasoning or why they doing that, you know, because he's who he mm -hmm. is. You know what I mean? He's an incredible basketball player. He's won a championship, perennial All Star, or you know, sh surefire Hall of Fame. Smart, you know, intelligent, good looking, you know. Obviously, he's made all kinds of money. Does does plenty of things in the community. So what's the issue, right? You don't agree with whatever you don't agree with. Like, I, 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 it's hard for me sometimes to see, like, successful people being chopped down, you know? It's like you become successful and then it's all this judgment, right? Yeah. And then it's judgment, and I don't mean to say this in the wrong way, I don't, but it's, you're judged by people who haven't accomplished what you've accomplished. Yep. And, to me, that becomes frustrating, but then it's like you can't give your energy that, and you know, and that, and yeah. you know, that's my conversation with Kai. Like you can't give your energy to that because it doesn't matter. Because uh, he's solid, like he's solid. What what has he done wrong? But not agree with maybe what some people said may have different views. Uh, I mean, he's 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 one of the top players, and you know, I'm not even gonna get into. To, to the numbers because you know they'll say I'm you know I'm You're subjective but you know right. he's one of the I'll say this to you and Scoop you know people can say whatever they want to say. If you're talking about skill and talent, you 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 have to tell me a player, another player in NBA history who's as skilled and talented as Kai. Like you have to give me, you know, Isaiah, the great Isaiah Thomas, who you said you just had. Now, I've, I've seen him, <laughs> like I've seen him before, the little bad boy image. Yeah. You know, when he first came with the Pistons, I've seen him in Chicago at the Push Excel. So I've seen Isaiah do some things that I don't think a lot of people have seen. So if you want to name Isaiah skill-wise, you know, but, you know, other than that, it's hard. What did you make of Kyrie's first season in Brooklyn? He was short-lived because he got hurt, but he put on a show. Yeah, he put on his first game, he put on his show. But, I mean, I, I, I don't – I mean, it's Kyrie being Kyrie. You know, when he's on the court, that's Kyrie being Kyrie. Like, he's going to 
you know, he has that embarrassment factor, you know, like, you know, some people can give you 30 and, you know, you may not, you know, it's a good 30 and, you know, it's like, wow, he had 30, but then there's that other 30 that, like, you know, that goddamn 30, you know what I mean? So, I mean, I don't, there's not a whole lot of explanation to that. You know, on the court, he's incredible. Like, his talent, mm-hmm. his scoring ability, his creativity, uh, you know, to be able to maneuver on the court the way he does, I mean, it's, it's special. You moved on the court like a daggone ballerina that with a basketball in the hand. Um, I know everybody tries to make those comparisons, and I think that you both are your own player. Definitely. If you had Kyrie's speed, what would your career, your, his speed and some of the things that he's able to do, what would your career have been like when well, you played? I, I, won't, I, I, might, I don't know if I'm, like, slower than Kyrie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. I, don't, I, I think the speed is equal. Um, okay. I, I even, like, you know, even getting to the basket and, and finishing, like, you know, those, those things can be compared. But mm-hmm. I think Kyrie, first of all, he shoots the ball, like, way better than I could ever shoot the ball with range and you know I was a mid-range shooter uh, but his ball handling is different you know I reacted to the defense so mm-hmm. and I can maneuver and get to where I want to get to but he just does it differently like it's just so you know he's able to he's almost able to play with you and then do what he wants to do uh, so I just think his skill level is unmatched you know, my skill level wasn't his skill level. Uh, but, you know, I see similarities in some things, but his skill level is, is I mean, I, there was a time where people would be like, man, y'all play it like he plays like you. And, and I used to stick my chest out. And then when I saw him, <laughs> then when he got to Cleveland and I watched him play, I'm like, man, don't even say that. Like, yeah. It's not even close, man. Like, Things he do, you know, I can only dream of doing. Like, you know, he, he's, 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 he's different. Rod, I remember the 96 playoffs uh, when you were a member of the Washington Bullets um, and you went toe-to-toe uh, with the Bulls. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, it was you, Jawan Howard, Chris Webber, Chris Whitney. Uh, you guys were a loaded team. Um, what do you remember most about your Bullets days? Uh, I remember Chris Webber and Jawan Howard. <laughs> you know, like those were the two, those two guys, man. They they were so competitive. That you know, coming from the Fab Five, and you know, I remember watching them play and their swag and everything. Like, I just that that was it. Like, you know, we played the Bulls. You know, those guys are hyped and amped and competitive young guys. And it just was a pleasure playing with those guys. And then Calvin Cheney, uh, you know, Chris Whitney, uh, I don't want to miss anybody. Tracy Murray was there. Mm-hmm. He was an incredible shooter. Uh, Harvey Grant, Ben Wallace, who I don't even understand why we traded him. <laughs> like, that was one of the worst days of, like, I, I went in Wes Unsell's office and was like, Ben? <laughs> I said, Ben? I said, Ben? <laughs> Scoop and he said, radio. well, we had to, I said, Ben? Yeah. So, but it was just great times, man. Like, you know, I, we, we had a, a really good team. 
I don't think we stayed together long enough. But uh, I just remember, you know, C. Webb and Juwan really like, you know, to me they were the engine. Like they were the like, you know, like coming to a game and getting ready. I never forget games. I remember we played Garnett and Steph, and I'll mm. just never forget how like amped and hyped that was. You know, see Webb and Garnett talking garbage to each other, me and Steph going back and forth. Uh, but those guys were super ultra competitors and, and talented. You know, see Webb, who should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, one of the most gifted guys I've been on the court with. Stat stuffer, rebounds, assists, block shots, steals, you know, whatever. I uh, did it all. And it showed because when he left, we were different. And every team he's gone to since, he's made an impact on every team he's gone to. And when he leaves, that team gets worse. Mm -hmm. And I think we start talking underrated, undervalued. Like, C. Webb is that. Like, the fact that he's not in the Hall of Fame, to me, is like, I mean, it's just not right. Like, he's incredible. And, and he was such a killer. Like, his attitude and his fierceness on the court. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, and when you talk about Chris Webber, uh, as it relates to just being underrated, I, I feel like we're just in an era where, and Shaq kind of broke it down for me on my podcast, Scoopy Radio, back in, in the spring. I, I asked him in an era where Michael and, and himself and Kobe were like King, Reggie Miller, Gary Payton, and Hakeem Olajuwon get overlooked. And he said it's almost like when you go to McDonald's and he wasn't throwing shade, he was just using this as an example. You got to be careful because people pick up things and it doesn't always get allocated. But when you when you go to McDonald's, the top thing on the menu is the Big Mac. But then you have other options if you don't like the Big Mac. You have the chicken nuggets, you have the filet of fish. I don't want to give McDonald's too much promo, but <laughs> you have the chicken sandwich. You have all these different things. And I feel like when you talk about Chris Weber. I don't know if he's a milkshake. I don't know if he's the fries. I don't know if he's if he's that. But respectfully, I, I feel like it gets lost in translation, his impact, because people have their personal gripes. But also, I feel like Kevin Garnett game came along and people get amnesia. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Whatever it is, he's up there. You know, and I'm glad I had a chance to, to be a part of it. And I saw and I've seen it. Uh but if you talk about Dirk and Garnett, you know, uh, you got to see Webb has to be in that conversation. Like, I mean, that's that's not even, I mean, that's easy work. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, and, and, you know, you talk about Gary and Reggie. We know, I know, you know what I mean? Everybody, you know, this league has is, is gone on so long. And as you get older, you know, people forget. It's a new group. But... You know, history tells the story. Tell me something. Um, you, when you played in the playoffs uh, for the Bullets against the Bulls, you going to DePaul kind of made it a home game when you played at the United Center in the same, maybe not in the same way. Well, no, because it's the playoffs. They were Ooh, cheering again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting talked about on the sideline. What? You held your own against Michael. I was watching some video the other day. Uh, Rod, you weren't scared of Michael at all. What is it like going toe-to-toe -to -toe with one, probably the greatest player of all time? Well, I hate that word. And I, like, scared would be like, that's like the craziest word to me. 
you know, uh, playing against, competing against somebody on the court. And I think, like, and I don't know, I can't speak for everybody else, but, you know, when you're in the NBA and you're playing and you're competing, like, others look at Michael some kind of way, you know, we have to look at him differently. Now, understanding who he is now, I ain't going to sit there and act like I don't know who Mike is. But you're competing and you're trying to win. So, uh, and then I'm a point guard. MJ is, you know, two guard. I like to play small forward. So, and even because MJ, you know, I used to have to go against MJ, Scotty, Ron Hoffa, you know, and there was Steve Kerr, BJ, Randy Brown, and they would switch different guys off me. When it came down to the end of the game, you know, MJ would be on me. So I had to learn in those games because one thing I have to be honest about is in the half court with length and me not being the greatest shooter, I got to figure this thing out because I got to maneuver because what they would do is in moments they would put length on me. And so they are able to get me, right, and then able to recover, you know, if I shoot. Because, you know, I mean, they would prefer me to shoot than get in the lane. Mm -hmm. So I had to maneuver and I had to learn, like, against the Bulls, like even Scotty, I had to catch him in the open court. So a lot of times I want the ball. I want you to give it to me quick and I want to do something early because the defense is not set and, you know, the court is, is spaced. And so I would try to attack those guys more in transition. Now, on the, uh, you know, in half court, it, it, it could be tough at times. And so I had to maneuver that. But I was a penetrator and I understood angles. So I still was able to attack. But it was just interesting because there would be six different guys on me when, when we played the Bulls. Like, I would see a lot of different looks. Uh, but I enjoyed the competition. Like, MJ's the... You know, he's, he's one of the greatest. And so, you know, all eyes when he's playing, you know, all eyes are on that basketball court. So, you know, you want to be prepared. You want to be ready. You want to compete. And, you know, I mean, I mean, quite honestly, you lost a lot of times, you know, but you wanted to compete and you go in the game trying to win. Uh, so, you know, my eyes looking at MJ may be different than, than others. The tape on the wrist is making a comeback. You wore tape on the wrist. Jamal Murray was wearing tape on the wrist. What do you make of his game? Jamal Murray is incredible. Like, he's a player. Like, uh, great shooter, poised. Uh, and then he gets to the basket. Like, I've watched him of late. I didn't know he was, like, a finisher like that. Like, he finishes... He finishes well, uh, uses the backboard and angles and all that. So he's he's incredible. He's only going to get better and better. But I think he his coming out party was in the bubble, uh, you know, for me, from, from watching him. And, uh, you know, he's only going to get better. But he's a great shooter. Uh, he can play in the ball screens. Uh, and he's a finisher. So And he's clutch. Kimba Walker is from the Bronx just like you. Do you like his fit in the Boston Celtics system? Yeah, I think Kimber can fit anywhere. I think Kimber is a hooper. He's like, he just hoops. He wants to win. He wants to play. He's confident. Uh, so I think Kimber can play anywhere. I think Boston, you know, I don't know. I think I would try to stick with that with that nucleus 
for another year or two because they're knocking at the door. I think they just needed experience, and I think now Kimba has an extra year, right? I think he can, you know, he, he can, you know, he'll be more comfortable. And I'm not sure if Kimba was a little hurt during the playoffs, so mm -hmm. I don't know if we saw the true Kimba. But you know, I think Boston is knocking at the door, uh, and I think the more players that can make plays, you know, you got Kimba, you got Tatum, you got Brown. Uh, I think they have a lot of guys who can, you know, at the end of the game, you can give them the ball and they can make plays. The Lakers uh, are the NBA champions. Um, this all season, they're going to make some moves, possibly, but pretty much the same team will be intact. Um, what are you looking forward to in a season that's likely getting ready to start in about a little over a month? Uh, man, I'm just looking to watch basketball. I'm looking to watch another season. And I miss <laughs> basketball every time it's gone. Uh, you know, obviously, to me, the biggest story, you know, is obviously the Lakers. What are they going to do? Can they repeat? You know, but then you got over there in the East, you know, in New York, that Brooklyn team. I think, you know, KD and Kyrie, I think everybody has to be waiting to see, you know, uh, that. And, you know, they have a lot of talent on that team. And they could probably use it two ways. I mean, they can keep the talent. But they also... You know, they're, they're in a good position to make moves if they wanted to. So I like the Nets. I mean, Kyrie and and uh, and, uh, and uh, KD, you know, they're about to take over New York a little bit. Uh, so I'm interested in Milwaukee. I'm interested to see what they're going to do, the changes they're going to make. Because they've been kind of knocking at the door, but it seems like they need they need a little extra, probably another playmaker, some, someone else who can score and get Giannis off the ball. Because uh, he does a lot of he does a lot of things from the top, and in the playoffs it closes in, and he's not a great shooter, so you, you kind of have to move him around the court a little bit. So I'm interested to see uh, what happens with that. Million dollar question: I like Chris Paul. Do you think he'd be a better fit if you were if, if Nas made a song called "If I Ruled the World"? If you ruled the world for the deck. Would you prefer to see Chris Paul, if he's traded, would you prefer to see him in New York with the Knicks or with the Bucks playing alongside Giannis? Uh, well, I think I'll, I'll just look at it. I mean, if he's looking to move on and championship aspirations, it's obviously the Bucks. You know, he gives them uh, someone else who can make plays and, and can score the ball down the stretch. Uh but the Knicks can be intriguing because they're, you know, they're they're they're, they're going to make some changes, obviously, and and he can probably not do what he did in OKC, which was incredible. Mm -hmm. Like I've always been a Chris Paul fan, but when, when I saw him do, you know, him doing what he did in OKC, you know, first of all, accepting that after coming from Houston and saying, I know this is different. I don't know how this is going to go. But I'm gonna dig in and I'm gonna make these guys better. And for them to do what they did says a lot about him. And maybe that's his thought process if he wants to go to New York. You know, to kind of help that 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 franchise uh, start moving on toward a uh, playoff position and maybe his future after basketball. So I don't know. I I, I could see him in both spots. Last question. You are respected locally, internationally, all over the globe respected. 
Um, you you have a role with the NBA in the NBA's G League. Um, you've coached at Kentucky, or you've been an assistant coach in Memphis, Kentucky. Um, your son is, is is the man. He's playing college basketball. You you, you know, uh, you've gotten the respect of Trey Young. Uh, you, you've given him advice, and you're all over. What's the one thing uh, um, that you that that you want to do? That's a passion project through basketball that you haven't done yet that you still want to do. That's a, that's. I mean, I'm doing what I want to do now. You know, I'm, I'm just uh, just working in the G League and working with Team Ignite and watching these young guys grow and get better. Uh, like, that's it. Like, I want to be a part of basketball. I want to make an impact. Uh, I want to share my experiences. Uh, you know, I think I have a lot of knowledge. Uh, I have a lot of experience, like, in, you know, from the good, the bad, the ugly, the great. Like, you know, I just... You know, experience is the best teacher, so I, I want to be able to give that back and make an impact and do something different, do something special. Uh, so I'm always forward thinking. I'm always thinking about things that have to do with basketball that, you know, can be unique, help change the game. That's why I love doing what I'm doing now because it's different. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's going to be a part of the history. Uh, and, and and you know it, it'll make an impact on 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 young 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 people and give them an option. And so I, I don't know if I can pinpoint like one thing. Like being in basketball is really what I you know is is like a big part of my life. I've done it all my life. Uh, mm-hmm. So if I'm impacting basketball in any kind of way, you know I'm I'm, I'm sad. Well. I don't want to say satisfied because I don't think I'm ever satisfied, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm in basketball. So, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll keep growing. I'll keep learning. I'll, you know, my mind is always open uh, and just trying to move move forward and get better. You heard it first. The good news is this, Mr. Strickland. Uh, you are off the hot seat. Uh, I, I <laughs> hope I didn't too much, but. Um, it really and truly, uh, you are a basketball mind that, you know, I mentioned Reggie Miller, I mentioned Gary Payton, I mentioned Chris Webber. To be honest with you, brother, I, I think um, I think you're getting your roses now, but I think your, your impact in basketball has not always been credited the right way. We know who you are. You've been in rap songs, uh, but at the same time. I think that this generation's uh, of basketball watchers need to to, to continue to, to watch you and what you do because you, you've given a lot to the game. Thanks a lot. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. I've done this for a long time, uh, and I've been blessed, you know, to, to still be in basketball. So I'm good. That's it. All right, y'all heard it first. Ross Strickland, NBA legend. We're over and out. This is Scoopy Radio saying, you bring the coffee, and I'll bring the Dunkin'. Kaboom! My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, 
Tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.